goji of prayer. Any, anything that's, that's stirring for, for now? Okay. Let's go on. Let's, start, let's begin with question 244 today. On, it's on page 85. <clears throat> question 244. What is liturgy? Liturgy is an established pattern or form for the worship of God by God's people. The liturgy leads us in the remembrance of God's mighty acts and unites us in grateful response. So this is a very just basic liturgy 101. What is liturgy? <laughs> liturgy literally means something like the work of the people. The laos is the, the Greek word for the people. The laos, the, like, like we say, the laity. And then urgos, or something like where we get the words like urgency or something like that. This word meaning work or action, uh, you know, something, something along the, that doing something. So liturgy is, is literally means something like the work of the people, and it is what we do together. This is our common work, our common, common labor together. And in this even, um, the definition that we have here is a specifically um, a religious form of liturgy, but we could even expand the definition of liturgy beyond that as a, a set of actions that our people does together um, in a way that shapes and orders the affections of that people. Um, so what we're particularly interested in here is an established pattern for the worship of God by God's people. But um, one could say that the liturgy, you could, you could extend that beyond uh, religious forms of worship. So a lot of people will make the comparison um, to sporting events, right? You go to a uh, even a Baylor basketball game or you go to a national sporting event and what's at least in America what's one of the first things that you do you stand up sing the national anthem right have you ever thought about how strange that is like you're there to watch basketball <laughs> and you find yourself in, in very moving ways, I mean, you know, in, you know, you'll find people, maybe you found your own self just weeping or, ca you know, caught up in, in this experience. You're, you're here with this body of people, and you are singing, singing a song in honor of the country where you live. You're at a basketball game. <laughs> like, what, what, you know... So if you stop and, and look around, you find that these sorts of liturgies are all over the place. Uh, any, any ways in which the, you, know, you have the work of the people, you have the people gathered for something, some activity, usually in a sort of repetitious fashion, right? You do the same things every time. And there's a lot that happens in those moments. There's a lot that's your heart is being worked on, right? You're, you're not only there to just have a good time and, you know, watch basketball. Like, something is happening to your, to your affections, to, to your heart. Um, there's, there's something going on there more than, than just meets the eye. 
Um, so we have, there's lots of ways in which we could see liturgies around us in our culture, but uh, what we're specifically interested in here is thinking about the worship of God by God's people. So liturgy is an established pattern or form. Um, the liturgy leads us in the remembrance of God's mighty acts, right, that's one thing, and unites us in grateful response, right? Again, you think of the parallel um, with singing the national anthem at a basketball game. There's a remembrance there, right? A remembrance of some mighty act. Depending on your persuasion, you might say that's a mighty act of God, right? But um, in any case, it's a, it's a remembrance of a mighty act and a gathering in united response. So uh, in, in, this, in this remembrance... Right, there's even, you could say, there's even more than just a thinking with your mind about something that happened in the past, right? In remembrance, there's actually a calling to present that, that mighty act. There's a bringing, you're not only, you know, thinking about something in the past, that past act is actually being lived out in the present. Um, as you, as this people, as this, this laos, is united in grateful, res- in, in grateful response, right? There is a, there's a uniting action. The work of worship, the work of liturgy, has this, um, it don't, not only does something to you personally, not only shapes your individual affections, but it also shapes your affections um, as a people, right? It does something to, to a corporate body. Um, and... What we have in the church's liturgy is a, is a remembrance of God's mighty acts, right? We think most fundamentally of God's salvation in Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, the center of our entire life and, and life together. And so the liturgy at its best is, an, is a corporate action, the work of the people that calls to remembrance God's mighty acts in a way that gathers us together, it orders us towards that one central focus. So that is ultimately what what we aspire to, at least in the liturgy. Now, uh, there's different kinds of liturgies, different things out there. So let's go on to question 245. Why do Anglicans worship with a structured liturgy? Anglicans worship with a structured liturgy because it embodies biblical patterns of worship, fosters reverence and love for God, deepens faith in Jesus Christ, and is in continuity with the practices of Israel and the early church. Okay, lots in here. First of all, a structured liturgy. One of the things you may notice about um, a place like Christ Church is that um, it's a structured liturgy. We have um, a very uh, prescribed set of words, actions, prayers that we do. Many of us find ourselves at a place like Christchurch because we're very attracted to that. <laughs> that, has, that has an appeal to us. Um, and it's especially important to say against a couple of, you know, a couple of fronts out there. Um, one is that, uh, and we'll get to this get to this in the next question, but there's a real, um, in sort of contemporary American culture, there's a real love of, of spontaneity, right? Spontaneity um, 
is closely connected to authenticity, right? If we are being true to ourselves, as our secular creeds uh, tell us we should be, then we think to be true to ourselves, we need to be doing something authentic, which is something that nobody's done before, right? Because if somebody's done it before, then it's not your own, right? There's a deeply set anthropology in this, a deeply set account of what a human being is, what it means to live well, what it means to be free and, and uh, happy and, and all these things. There's actually very you know, deep anthropological assumptions in the way that which we think about liturgy and the way in which alternatively we, m- we might think about this. Um, so, but a structured liturgy, Anglicans ha- tend to have a more structured liturgy. Another thing we might say here is that um, you know, people sometimes talk about uh, liturgical and non-liturgical churches, right? Do you know, you're familiar with this kind of distinction? People say there's a liturgical and a non-liturgical churches. Like we go to Christ Church, it's a very liturgical church, you know. But if you think about it, I've never been to a non-liturgical church. I've been to some mega churches. I've been to some, <laughs> you know, what we call low church churches. Um, Brian, you've been to all sorts of wild churches, right? You've seen all sorts of things out there, right? But what you tend to find, regardless of what what church you go to, there tends to be a pattern. There tends to be a structure. Um, Even at a church where somebody is just invited to stand up in the congregation and say a word to the church, uh, if you hang around long enough, you tend to notice that there's a kind of pattern to the way in which even they say what is ostensibly their most authentic, you know, their most idiosyncratic. There tends to be a pattern. Uh, there tends to be a structure to these things. So I think a, a better way to say it is not whether you have a liturgy or don't have a liturgy. The question is, what is it? <laughs> what is your liturgy? And have you thought about what it is? <laughs> or has somebody thought about what it is? Right? Um, or are you just doing things? Or are you just imbibing sorts of things, um, say, from... Uh, from the culture or from sports or entertainment or, you know, uh, whatever, right? And think about what is that, that doing. We went to um, a church in North Carolina for, for a little while that had, I mean, they call, what they called a stage, right? They had um, a pastor who looked like, you know, a kind of rock star, um, and then they had musicians that also looked like rock stars. Uh, and you had very large screens. And to walk in, and they had very you know, comfortable you know, seating. And all of this, you walk in and, and you, you begin to think, I've been in this place before. Where have, where have I been in this place? <laughs> I've been this when I've been to, been to a music concert. right? Um, and you automatically are set in a kind of posture that thinks, ah, I'm in this space. You're not, you're not thinking about this unless you're a nerd like me who's just hypercritical and you know, do that kind of thing. But your, your body's inhabiting this space without you necessarily being aware of it. And you start to think, I'm here. This is a, this is a uh, cultural event. This is... What am I doing? What is this all this is doing to, to my affections? I'm starting to think about um, 
church in, in this kind of way. I'm starting to think about my pastor in this kind of way. I start to think of him as a celebrity figure like other celebrities. Um, I'm starting to hear the word of God in this kind of context. And again, it may not, I'm not saying it's all bad or I'm not saying all oh, this, that, and the other. I'm just saying there's, there's no sort of non-liturgical church. All of that is, is part of the liturgy. Okay, so what does ideally an Anglican liturgy do? It embodies biblical patterns of worship, right? It's, it's taking, it's trying to be very attentive to what sort of patterns we see in Scripture about how God meets the people, right? There's all sorts of things. We see this, you know, especially in the book of Exodus. If you've ever made it through the entire book of Exodus, you find yourself wondering, what in the world does... Why does God care so much about, um, you know, how many cubits the, the bath and the tabernacle is? You know, you find yourself wondering about all these things. And then finally you get to, you know, you keep reading your Bible uh, diligently like you do. Read, uh, Mark, hearing, uh, digesting the word. And you finally get to the book of Hebrews <laughs> in the New Testament. And you realize, ah, these were all what the, what the author of the Hebrews calls patterns or types of heavenly worship. Um, and you realize, oh, there is, there is a way in which God has said, just do whatever you want, you know, here's, worship me any way that whatever feels good, you do it, you know, just, just you be you, uh, worship God in your own special way. No, God says, there are ways in which that I've ordered the world that are more conducive to you encountering me. Right? Here, are, here are patterns that are deeply set in the orders of the world that you don't know because we're, you're just you know, enmeshed in sin and you can't see clearly how to worship God. We need help. We need grace. And so one, way, one of the ways in which we might see the liturgy is God's gracious act of saying, here is the best way to encounter me. Here's the best way to know me, to, to come, to draw close to me, to be to be near to me in, in the state that, that you're, you're in. Um, so again, so structured liturgy embodies biblical patterns of worship, fosters reverence and love for God. Right, again, we've talked about how all forms of liturgy are designed to, to shape your loves, your affections. Right? They have this sort of natural um, effect on you. But is it you know, deepening your love for uh, Duke basketball, say? Or is it uh, shaping your, your affections for God, right? And that's, those aren't totally, uh, you know, <laughs> totally wrong. But, um, but we're, we're aware of what's going on here. That's, that's the thing that we want to draw out in at least a catechesis on worship is saying, what is the worship, what is the liturgy doing to us as not only as individuals, but as, as a corporate body? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Like that's um, again, that's that's the the true telos of, of of Christian liturgy is to form you into the body of Christ. Um, and we we primarily tend to think of of the Eucharist as um, as a as a meal as a as a species of, of bread and wine, right? 
as, as a thing that, that's up there, but right, the other sense of the body of Christ is the church, the corporate body of Christ. Um, and so there's a, a, a long tradition of, of saying that um, the body of Christ up there draws its significance from the body of Christ, the historical body of Christ, right? To form you into the body of Christ. So taking this, participating in this liturgy, which is centered around the Eucharist, that's the sort of heart of Christian liturgy, participating in that meal, which is, I mean, most of, all of what we do is a preparation to receive that meal, right? And that is designed to, to form us into the thing that it is, right? The body of Christ forms us into the body of Christ, right? So that's, that's absolutely a great, a great point. This is what it's designed to do. Um, all right, let's keep on going. 246. This quote gets out, you know, one of these questions that, that, that many of us have. Does structured liturgy inhibit sincere and vibrant worship? No. A structured liturgy provides sincere worshipers biblical language and forms that train our hearts for worship. Liturgy enables us to worship God joyfully and with one voice. Right, so here we have one of these um, sort of typical sort of critique, I guess, of Anglican or a structured liturgy. Doesn't doing these preset forms that I didn't come up with, doesn't that prohibit me from worshiping God authentically, truly, right? Is this prohibiting me from encountering God as, you know, as I would most authentically do, right? And so the answer here is no. Uh, but it's not just a hard no. It's, it's trying to get us, help us see what is, what is behind the liturgy. What is the liturgy doing? And this is a lot of what we've been talking about. It's, um, especially in this language of training our hearts for worship. So in some sense, as we've been saying, the Eucharist at the heart of the liturgy is the center of what we do. But right, that in itself is training us for heavenly worship, right? Um, we see this in, um, you know, we, we catch glimpses of this in places like uh, the Revelation uh, of John. You see the sort of veils open and John is able to see the heavenly throne room. And what does he see? But a people at worship, right? He sees uh, heavenly worship, this sort of astounding, majestic people, you know, in awe and, and wonder. Um, so what, what this is doing, that's, and that's not our, our sort of natural inclination, right? Being born into sin makes us um, desirous and it turns our affections towards other things, right? Really anything besides God, that's the sort of nature of sin, training us to, training our hearts for worship of, of not God, right? And so one of the things that, that the liturgy does, um, amongst other, other things, is to train our hearts for worship. It's a sort of exercise in turning, turning the affections towards, towards God. And so in this way, um, you, you think the, the liturgy is not... Um, 
That's not an end in itself. Earthly, earthly liturgy is not an end in itself, even though it is the end of all sort of earthly ends, but is actually a part of this process of training us to be sort of fit for heaven, uh, uh, language C.S. Lewis might use. Um, and, it, and in doing so, it provides us biblical language uh, for worship. So the, so the liturgy, and as we'll talk about more at the, the Book of Common Prayer, this is... Um, Biblical language put to prayer. The Bible set to to prayer and worship. So let's turn to that question now. Question 247. What is the role of Scripture in the prayer book? The Book of Common Prayer is saturated with the Scriptures, organizing and orchestrating them for worship. It helps us to pray together in words God himself has given us, with order, beauty, joy, deep devotion, and great dignity. So the Book of Common Prayer, behold, the Book of Common Prayer, um, is, again, I love this word, saturated with the scriptures. So not only does it um, encourage you to read the scriptures themselves, but it's very language, all of the the prayers, all the collects, the prayers, everything in between, the calls and responses, the sort of back and forth, um, all of that is language drawn from, from Scripture. Um, so you look at the uh, invitatory on uh, page 13, the, one of the first things you say after confession during morning prayer, O oh Lord, open our lips, right? Psalm 51, right? This... It, so all of this, even when it doesn't say so, <laughs> there is what we have is um, learning to pray uh, the words of Scripture. So it's, it's saturated with Scriptures, um, and it organizes and orchestrates them for worship. So organizing Scripture, we have the Bible, and then you have a book of common prayer, um, and what we have in here is one sort of form, or one sort of, or lots of forms and lots of genres, right? There's history, there's narrative, there's poetry, there's there's gospels, um, letters, all sorts of things. Um, and it can be a bewildering sort of array of material. And we don't always read. There's lots of ways to read the, the Bible. And we talked about reading the Bible last way, last time as a form of of learning to pray, of encountering God. But the Book of Common Prayer essentially is a way of, of getting this organized and orchestrated um, for, for worship and for prayer. Uh, and it's especially this metaphor of orchestrating that I think is particularly helpful for thinking about what is the larger thing that we're doing here in liturgy, right? There's a kind of orchestration that happens. There's a kind of a musical way in which... Um, People, we are learning to, to gather our, our disparate and divided voices and affections um, gathered together in, in, in harmony with what we see um, in Scripture. So there's a way in which what the Book of Common Prayer is designed to do is to take the sort of, what, wherever we are, <laughs> it's all, all different places all over, all over the world, and to, to join our voices in praise to God. Um, and so uh, the Book of Common Prayer is designed to, to that's what it does with Scripture. Yeah? Quick question on 246. Mm-hmm. 
No, no, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's a that's a great question. Um, it's a little it's a little ambiguous in here. So the question is is saying, does structured liver, uh, liturgy inhibit sincere worship, right? And the question is designed to think to say no. A structured liturgy provides sincere worship worshipers biblical language and forms that that train it. So. There's one way I think, uh, I don't think it's trying to say that you need to be a sincere worshiper first in order to come to, to liturgy to pray well. Um, I think what it's trying to say here is to say um, there's no opposition between structure and sincerity. So structure and sincerity are not, you know, opposite ends of the pole. As as our culture would probably train us to to think that they are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't see it as saying um, structured liturgy. There's a group of sincere worshipers out there somewhere, right? Um, and they're looking for biblical languages and, and training of the heart. And then they say, ah, here's here's a structure, right? Um, it's... It's designed to get us at um, the, the liturgy can be the space in which sincerity happens, right? It can be the, the place in which that, that is opened up to you. Um, and this is, this is not always the case. You, you may find yourself uh, bored and your, your attention is wandering during, during prayer or, or during the service, right? But, but many of us have also encountered this uh, before where you are are um, praying something in the morning office, for instance, the, the prayer of thanksgiving, say, something that you pray uh, every morning, and then one day you are just pierced <laughs> to the heart with this sort of wonder at, you know, God's salvation or the means of grace or something like that. So, what, yeah, what, what I think what it's trying to do is get us out there's there's no opposition between sincerity and structure. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, yeah. So so um, the prayer book is orchestrating the scriptures. It's it's this doing this musical score. It's it's like a master uh, a maestro putting these putting these uh, notes together into a form that gathers the body of Christ and orchestrates the body of Christ to just sing beautifully, <laughs> not only literally as we sing, but also as we, as we pray and as we live together. Um, and it helps us to do together, again, with words God has given us, right? God is saying, here are, here are the words. <laughs> um, here, are, here are words that, that I can give you to shape your, your speech, but also to shape your hearts. Um, and to do so with order, beauty, joy, deep devotion, and, and great dignity. Okay, <clears throat> question 248. How does the Book of Common Prayer organize corporate worship? The prayer book orders our daily, weekly, and seasonal prayer and worship. 
It also provides liturgies for significant events of life. So, um, you know, if you ever want to spend a good, a good couple of hours, uh, ask Father Jonathan sometime about the history of the Book of Common Prayer, uh, and you'll be sweetly rewarded. Um, but the, the, the basic idea is that um, what Thomas Cranmer, the sort of 16th century Anglican, the architect of the Book of Common Prayer, what he wanted to do was to um, recreate the monastic orders of prayer for the common people. So um, for thousands of years, monks have gathered for what they called the divine office. And this word office um, comes from the word officium in Latin, meaning something like uh, duties or, <laughs> or what is right to do. Um, and so it comes, comes from this tradition, this monastic tradition of praying, as the Psalms say, seven times a day. Right? Seven times a day have I praised you. Well, you know, um, besides Emma, nobody prays seven, seven times a day, right? We all find ourselves amidst many occupations and, and things like this. What Thomas Cramer did was to say, well, let's take this principle of ordered prayer and do it in a way in which, uh, you know, uh, you're, Normal people can, can do that. And so the, the heart of, of daily prayer is a morning and evening office that's centered around confession, hearing the word through scripture, reading, you know, usually a passage from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and one of the Psalms or a couple of the Psalms, and then praying through the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, um, uh, and then a number of other prayers. So it's a way of gathering morning and evening prayer into a, a workable doable form of, of daily prayer that's both scriptural, lots of scripture in there. You end up reading through, if you do morning and evening office, you're reading through the entire Bible in a year, and you're reading through the Psalms several times a year, right? Learning, again, learning to inhabit the biblical speech of, of prayer. Um, and then so that orders daily prayer. It orders also our weekly prayer, especially what we do in the Eucharist, you know, whether it's on the screen <laughs> or in the, in the morning service, prayed right out of, of common prayer. We have our Eucharistic liturgy. Um, and as well, different seasons of the year, right? And so we'll especially be getting a, a taste of that this week um, when, we, when we do... Uh, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. You'll find all of those, um, those orders of worship laid out here in the Book of Common Prayer, as well as for things like ordination of a priest or a bishop, um, prayers for uh, holy matrimony, prayers for the dying, significant events, turning points um, in, in, a, in a life. Um, and again, so I advise you to just Spend time with it, seeing what's there, seeing, seeing what all's in there, exploring uh, in this, and then, um, you know, set, a, set aside a few hours to talk to Father Jonathan. Okay, um, question 249. What is the daily office? The daily office includes the services of morning and evening prayer. In them we confess our sins and receive absolution hear God's word, and praise him with psalms, 
and offer the church's thanksgiving and prayers. Again, we've already kind of been, been touching on this, but daily office is getting ordering, it's, it's doing a, a, almost a sort of mini, uh, mini liturgy uh, every day. And so you'll notice there's a certain pattern to, to our worship. There's most, at its most basic, our, our weekly Eucharist is a, a God's calling upon us. So there's an invitation, usually spoken by the priest, but we are, we are invited to worship. God calls us to attention. Uh, and we respond, and we say, here we are. <laughs> we are here. And God says, yeah, thank you for being here. And then we hear the word proclaimed. So this is God's word spoken. Now that we're, we're paying attention, we're, we've been invited, uh, and we're paying attention, we hear God's word, right? And then we are not only, we're not left there, just, uh, just hears, but we are invited to share in God's own life. And so we are called up, we all get up, and we all process to the Holy of Holies, and we share in God's life together, Right, so there's this, there's, again, there's, there's invitation to response. So we hear God's words proclaimed. We're invited to respond. And then we are sent out. We are commissioned. Go forth. Be the body of Christ in the world. Um, and there's this basic sort of, again, it's, it's communion. It's communication. It's communion. It's, um, this is how we, uh, God's given us ways in which to, to encounter him. Uh, and the daily office is is a sort of miniature version of that that we that we enact on a daily basis, calling forth, response, participation, commission. <clears throat> okay, question two fifty. How is the daily office observed? The daily office is primarily designed for corporate prayer. It may also be used by individuals or families in public or in private in whole or in part. This is more or less a way of saying, here is, an, here is an order, here is a structure. Even here is a kind of ideal for how it might be used, right, as the gathered body. Um, some people have noticed how Thomas Cranmer especially thought that, or especially designed these prayers to, uh, to be spoken aloud, right? He has in mind the sort of call and response, the, the corporate gathering. These are meant to be, to be prayed together. They're prayed to be, to, to be prayed out loud. Um, again, he has in mind this, this kind of corporate worship. And yet, at the same time, uh, it can be, can be used by individuals, by families. Um, in the, in, again, you, you start looking around Christ Church and you see ways in which all this is, this is being done. So we have daily uh, morning prayer here either at the church or at um, either the Guttaker's home or the Norman Cruz's home, right? So there's a place in which we set aside places for the church to pray together. Um, but often people pray this as a family, right? The Coley's who, who live like 40 minutes away, you know, they pray this as a, as a family, even, even their family though is like a very small church. It's like, you know, 10 or 20 people or something like that. So, uh, but... Nonetheless, there's people that pray this as a family, right? Um, and you can talk to them sometime about how they, they involve their children uh, in uh, the daily office. But even still, it can be used uh, individually, and many people do this as well. Um, I, I often uh, 
pray the morning office this way. Um, But even when you do that, you find yourself praying these, these prayers that I know that my brothers and sisters at Christ Church are praying around uh, around the world. There is a there is a people that are praying these these common prayers, reading these same scriptures today. Um, and so you find yourself even when you're you're, you're most isolated, <laughs> there's a way in which um, the daily office gathers you together as a body of Christ. Okay, question two fifty one. Why do we pray the daily office? We pray the daily office because by it we learn the scriptures, join with the church in prayer, mark our days with praise to God, and sanctify our time. So again, we've talked about how the the Book of Common Prayer and the Daily Office are saturated with scriptures. They get us praying, they get us inhabiting these scriptures. Um, more than more than we we would otherwise. So we learn the scriptures. We learn the narrative of scripture, um, and we learn familiar passages. Relearn them, memorize them. Um, we join with the church in prayer. Again, there's this there's this incorporation of the body, becoming the corpus of Christ uh, in prayer. But we also mark our days and sanctify our time. There's this, there's this way in which we, I mean, we all find ourselves amidst <laughs> doing lots of things with our time, waking, sleeping, working, playing, laughing, um, doing all sorts of things. Um, but there's different ways in which we experience that time, right? Sometimes we feel like time is wasted. Sometimes you feel like time is going, going well. Sometimes you, you don't really know how much time has passed. You're so caught up uh, in what you're doing, right? Um, uh, I've, I find it a great joy having small children that can be enraptured in, in an activity for a while, and they have no idea how much time has passed, right? You, you can see this in ways in which um, children get, get caught up in doing something, and they have no idea how much time has passed. Um, so there's a way in which we're sort of scattered about in our, in our time. Sometimes they feel more slow, sometimes they feel faster. But what daily prayer does is a way of saying, well, all time is God's time. Ideally, we might say all of, all of life might be sort of caught up in enraptured praise or something like that. Um, but that's not the case for most of us. Um, but what daily prayer can do is sanctify our time. Sanctify here meaning just marking out as holy, separating, setting apart. So... Um, and again, this is a sort of training for us to, um, to inhabit time uh, Christianly. There's a way in which we can learn to inhabit all of our days and all of our times um, in ways in which our, our hearts are turned to God. Um, again, so this is, all, this is corporate worship. What we are doing here is the body of Christ. We gather weekly. Um, we, we gather daily in prayer. All this is aimed towards developing this, this rule of prayer. Uh, but we can extend this even further by thinking about a rule of life. So let's go on to question 252. Question 252, what is a rule of life? 
rule of life is discipline by which I order my worship, work, and leisure as a pleasing sacrifice to God. So we may think, well, good, we've got a daily, uh, a daily office. We pray to God daily. We worship God weekly, you know. The rest of the time is my time. <laughs> I give God his little bit of time, and then I do my own thing on, on my time. Well, there's also a way in which we can extend the sort of habits and intuitions that we learn in daily and corporate prayer into the rest of life. And so that's what thinking about um, a rule of life is, is designed to do. It's a, it's a way in which we can think about, well, what are the, the activities that I do throughout my day? And how might those be ordered, sanctified? How might those activities be sort of caught up in this weekly ebb and flow, weekly daily ebb and flow of, of worship? And so... Thinking about a rule of life is just thinking about, well, what all is going on in my life? What sort of things are already there? You know, what sort of family life do I have? Social life, um, work life. What are the sort of things that are already there? And how can those things um, be ordered towards, towards worship somehow? Not to say that those things are worship, but that they can be ordered toward worship. They can be aimed towards that way. Um, so how might, we, how might we think about that? Well, a rule of life uh, is a way of getting, getting at this. So it's, it's thinking about, usually in conversation with, with a spiritual director, um, and thinking what might um, a rule of life look like for me during this season. It would probably include something like uh, weekly mass, <laughs> um, some form of, of daily prayer, um, something like that would be the sort of backbone of, of a rule of life. Um, but then there's, there's other ways you can, you can expand on that. So um, you may just mark out some time of fasting in, in, in your week, or you may mark out some times at work uh, that, that you pause to, to pray. Um, but you may even think about a rule of life in terms of, uh, of your, your own sort of personal um, vices and, and inclinations. You might think, I, you know, uh, just uh, for, 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 I'm thinking personally here, you know, um, I have sort of tendencies to overwork, right? So I like get to the very end of my day and I'm just like, oh, I could just do this one more thing. I just send out this one more thing or try to do this one more thing. And, um, but, you know, part of rule of life might be like, no, at this time, you just stop. And that's part of your rule of life, right? Um, and so there's, there's, again, you think about in conversation with, with a trusted mentor or, or spiritual director, um, again, doing a lot of advertising for Father Jonathan Canary today. Dr. Father Jonathan, there, and there's other, several other gifted spiritual directors within our congregation. Um, and these are folks that you can pray with and, and learn to cultivate a life. Cultivate a life in which you're more attentive uh, to God's spirit, to God's leading. Okay. <clears throat> let's, um, let's do these last three. Question 253. Why do you need a rule of life? 
I need a rule of life because my fallen nature is disordered, distracted, and self-centered. A rule of life helps me to resist sin and establish godly habits through which the Holy Spirit will increasingly conform me to the image of Christ. Oh, this is a wonderful uh, couple of sentences. There's so much, so much in this. Um, mainly because this gets us into thinking about how sin, something deeply ingrained in, in us, um, manifests in habits. Right? Sin, we may say, is more than habits, right? But it's not less than habits. <laughs> it often manifests in patterns, right? We notice our sort of sinful proclivities manifest in habits and routines. Well, the rule of life is a way of proposing alternative habits, <laughs> habits that, that disrupt these sinful habits and start to create good and holy habits. So, so developing a rule of life will help you to resist sin and establish godly habits. Thinking about, again, thinking about in the sphere of liturgy, what are the sort of habits of my life and how are they shaping me towards life with God? Okay, question 254. What is included in a rule of life? In addition to scripture, prayer, and worship, A rule of life includes witness, service, self-denial, and faithful stewardship of my time, money, and possessions. So again, this is another way of saying there's, the again, prayer and scripture are sort of backbone of of a rule of life. But then from there, almost anything can be included in in one's rule of life. So it could be, again, here, witness or some form of of service, you know, um, some sort of of ministry, with uh, something that calls you to doing something, uh, some sort of uh, works of action, uh, corporal works, uh, that sort of thing. Self-denial, again, fasting, faithful stewardship of time, money, and possessions. Thinking about, even, even thinking about tithing, um, not just as a, as a way to, you know, fix our air conditioning or something like that, but <laughs> thinking about tithing as a part of a, of a rule of a rule of life. What, what goes into tithing or, or giving of, of your time to, to some, some act of charity? What goes into that, and how does creating habits around tithing shape your, your affections and, and desires? So lots of things that can be included in there, uh, and depending on your sort of personality or type, you, you're a spiritual director may sit and I tell you to just, you know, tone it down a notch, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and you can kind of adjust. And, and, and these things ebb and flow. Again, different seasons in life may demand different kinds of, different kinds of attention to one's own life. But, but um, a rule of life is a, is a very broad way of thinking about what are the sort of daily habits? What are the sort of weekly habits? And then what are the sort of seasonal habits. Maybe it's taking a retreat once a year, a silent retreat once a year or something like that. You know, thinking about per, on, the, on a yearly basis, what, what might the sort of habits uh, of a life well-lived look like? And then finally, this question 255, why is prayer an essential part of a rule of life? Through prayer, I rely upon God for strength, wisdom, and humility to sustain and guide me in my rule of life. Without the love of God and the power of his spirit, 
I will not attain to the fullness of Christ. So prayer, again, is is the heart of a rule of life. It's uh, a lot of these other habits, we may say, are designed to help us cultivate uh, attention in prayer. And it's through prayer as as the, the... primary means in which we encounter God, which we encounter um, the love of God and the power of his spirit, through which we become conformed to the image of Christ, right? This is a great question. This is summarizing this really this entire uh, section on um, belonging to Christ. What does it mean to belong to Christ? Ultimately, it's a life caught up in prayer, And so a lot of these other things that we do are designed to aim and shape us and help us and bring us into life with God through prayer. Um, Again, so much more uh, we could say there. This is a really rich section on thinking about uh, what it means to live life, all of life, before God. Um, There's a great little... um, book of prayers called Every Moment Holy. <laughs> um, and what, that's, what that, that title uh, bespeaks is this kind of way in which um, all of life is, is, is given to us in Christ. All of life is a gift, um, but we're not often aware of it. Uh, we don't often see life in that way, but um, these little habits, these little uh, parts of a rule of life, uh, daily office, corporate worship, these are all moments in which we're called out of our, our distractions and, and uh, divisions and learning to attend to the one thing needful. So uh, I encourage you to, I do encourage you to, to meet with the spiritual director um, and to begin thinking about what my rule of life uh, look like for me uh, in this season. So, okay, and we'll start uh, Palm Sunday. We'll be starting outside today. Thanks.